Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's going on, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. And I am your Keyforge friend here this week with uh, my wonderful co-hosts, the illustrious Essie Steele. How's it going, Sydney? It's going great. I am so excited for this episode. Yes, you are back off of uh, a whirlwind adventure to Gen Con, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. So, hot take on on your experience. I know you were you were there and back in a day. Is that correct? Yep. So we we decided like last minute, and by last minute I mean like a week ago that we were actually going to go because we had previously landed on the side of not going, but then so much happened and Ghost Galaxy came out with all their announcements and I was just, I I couldn't stay away. So we drove down, we arrived at 1 a.m. yesterday morning, we closed our eyes for about seven hours and then showed up in the dealer's hall when they opened and started our day there. It was, it was crazy. And then we drove back last night, obviously. So it was, oh my God, I'm so glad I went. Oh, that's amazing. I'm I'm excited to hear all about it, and you'll be sharing with our avid listeners about everything you got to learn from the Ghost Galaxy peoples that were there. So, I guess the biggest news that has come out in the Ghost Galaxy realm is the fact that Winds of Exchange is actually going to have a crowdfunding campaign. It sure is. And I'm I'm actually really excited for it. So one of the things that they they said in person a lot, but they also like having a lot of their text in their their marketing related to this crowdfunding campaign is that they are they're trying to gauge or gauge whether the support of the player base is as robust as it as they hoped it was when they acquired the game. And I I basically quoted uh, their their article there because I think that they they need to make sure that they can pay for things, but they also want to make sure that they put in as much effort as they need to 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 meet all of our requirements, and they want to make sure they have enough product for us. So, like, if we overwhelm them with support, they won't underprint things. And and of course, I'm coming from the the sunshine optimistic level, but they also want to make sure that there is enough support, and so that way getting people to to follow the campaign, which I'm going to suggest that everybody listening does, but then once they go live in September to support the campaign, these will be super important to the future of Keyforge. Totally. I, I That makes total sense to me, and I'll be sure to put the links to uh, anything we discuss here that's relevant in the show notes. So you can just have a, a quick click and get to see everything. But I, I hear what you're saying, and I I think it makes sense. I mean, there's there's just so much that has like they obviously can see the deck sales, but I have a feeling like eighty percent of the sales are are from twenty percent of the community for the most right. part. So right, it's a matter of um, probably gauging exactly where we're at right now, and I'm sure some people have have. Uh, gone over to flesh and blood and who knows if they'll come back or not. Sure. But- I mean, the, the, it's on GameFound, by the way. So everyone who automatically thinks Kickstarter, GameFound is basically a Kickstarter website for just board and card games, for just anything in the gaming industry. So I'm also very happy that they decided to support the gaming industry by going on GameFound instead of Kickstarter. But mm. on, on top of that, so this launched yesterday as of recording. It launched August 4th. And um, it, 
already, it has over 3,300 followers on the the campaign itself. So you can follow it. And by following it, you get updates when they uh, end up launching the campaign. But if you do follow it before they launch it, something that they are able to do within the campaign is note who was following it before they launched it. And if you follow it before they launch it, you get a free Keyforge deck. So that's one of their their uh, it's not a gimmick. It's it's just one of their promises. Like if, if you follow it now, they, they really do actually want to gauge the support. And if we if they can get enough people following it before they even launch it, they know that it's an overwhelming amount of support. So go ahead and definitely follow it now before they launch it to get that free Winds of Exchange deck once they launch the Kickstarter or the game found, obviously, the crowdfunding. Yes. And I think that's that's really exciting. And honestly, I'm I'm personally totally for this idea, I've backed other games on Kickstarter, most recently Soulforge Fusion. Yes. And uh, I know I got you bitten by that bug. <laughs> and um, it's it's honestly, it's great because they'll probably have unique things that will, that will exist just for backing this in the early stages before it goes to commercial release. And oh, I think all of us as- I have stuff Keyforge to say about players, that. <laughs> oh yeah? Okay. So. And all of us as, as Keyforge players, players we like the uniqueness that a deck can possess and if it becomes even more unique like they did with the gamma seals and alternate art cards all that sort of stuff this will just be an extra benefit to being a part of this crowdfunding so one of the awesome things about being at gen con was was being able to like talk with the people there. And so not only did I, I get a conversation with a couple of uh, different employees, but I actually was able to talk to Christian Peterson and I have a lot to say about him too. But the what relates to the actual crowdfunding campaign is at Gen Con, they had Gruens there. They brought some of the plushies that they had acquired from FFG and they were selling them. And they they went like hotcakes. Like they were out. I, I got my hands on one, but that's because Keyforge was like the first booth that I went to when the dealer's hall opened on the first day. They sold out within hours of the first day. So they have a few cases of Gruens left and they implied, they didn't say this directly, but they implied that those might be available during the campaign because they didn't even realize that the demand for them was so high that it would be something this desirable. So I'm actually super excited to see how they factor into the campaign. All right. All right. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So we'll probably see some more stuff in in that vein, which is really great. And so you you kind of just drop that casually in in sentence just there that you got to talk to the new leader of the ship, the new captain taking the helm of Mr. Christian Peterson. And uh, what was that like? Oh my gosh, it was, it was amazing. So I will say I, (laughs) I was talking with him and very, very just casual. And I, I didn't know he was Christian Peterson when I was starting to talk to him. And then my, my husband, Chris walks up and starts like, like revering him, like starts talking to him about, oh my gosh, like you came up with all these games like because for those of you who don't know Christian Peterson founded Fantasy Flight Games in 1995 and he created Twilight Imperium and that's that's why he founded Fantasy Flight Games to to uh, like basically uh, bring Twilight Imperium into the world and so like he is behind so many amazing games on top of 
being there at, at Fantasy Flight when Keyforge came into being. So like there were so many amazing things that I I could learn from him once I realized who he was. And it was it was just so awe-inspiring to to be able to talk to him about the game itself. Mm, I can only imagine. A little bit of jealousy over here. In <laughs> <laughs> and um, did he impart any interesting news that you want to share with our listeners when you got to have a chat with him? So one of the really cool things was um, we, we were talking to him just, just, it was so casual. It was, it was amazing. So while, when, when my husband, Chris started chatting with him, one of the things he brought up that I was so happy to be privy to this conversation, he was talking to Christian about the going to time rules. And so we ended up talking about just a lot of the OP rules in general, just simply the, well, OP in general, actually. Um, but while uh, my Chris was talking to Christian about the the going to time rules. They they talked about how like it currently stands and uh, that there there is just some some interest in the community to to revisit that. And he was so incredibly receptive to to possibly changing that for for multiple reasons. And one of which is that he actually saw the issue with the the fact that once the once time is called, the game changes for the person who is the second player. If you have a turn left and you don't have to stop the person from forging and you're just continued to try and get as much amber as possible, like you're, you're no longer playing the game of key forge. And when, when no. my Chris described it to him that way, he saw it. And it was just so great to know that like he was talking, like Christian Peterson was talking to a fan of the game, taking in the information that he had to provide and, and like spitballing ideas on, on how to make it better. And I was just so impressed by that. I, I can't, I can't say just like how much I love being able to chat with him directly. Oh, that's incredible. Again, still feeling jealousy. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, one neat thing about the, the crowdfunding campaign announcement just on the Keyforging website is they also spoiled three new cards, which we're not going to talk about. But if that's something you're interested in, go there. I know there's some discussion in the spoiler section of the Help from Future Self um, section of our Discord. Help from Future Self section. In the Help from Future Self Discord, there is a section of spoilers that there you can have discussions. And I know, like, literally prior to us recording this episode, I saw Zach was jumping on there, giving <laughs> his two cents on uh, why he enjoyed these new spoiled cards. And some of them are really cool. And I, I really appreciate that we, what we've been seeing with the spoilers is that we are seeing spoilers coming from the Equidons. We are seeing them come from Mars. We're seeing them come from Brobnar. Yes. Things that have not been present in the game. So stuff that is showcasing houses, how they're kind of, they've been gone or haven't existed and kind of what they're going to look like now. And I appreciate that because we know how the other houses function, but what's it going to be like with these new houses returning? And then it's also providing this really interesting sort of we're not getting spoiled the houses we're familiar with which is going to give that really nice like freshness to them when we do get to see more from them i couldn't agree more i honestly feel like the spoilers are so casual because they are just they're just on the article page of the of the announcement for the gamefound crowdfunding campaign so it's it's just so great that they're like oh we're going to give you what you want we're just going to give you so much of what you want that you have to go digging to find like the cool things Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted to say, so the last couple of things about the campaign itself. So one of the things that c came up in conversation is um, 
if if they're successful, will they continue to crowdfund future sets? And so there, there was no commitment either way, but they said that the goal was not to to ha- not to have to crowdfund future sets. This one is basically once they get the momentum going and the ball rolling, they won't need to continue to gauge the excitement about or the demand for the key the game of keyforge. So they they didn't say that they would or would not, but they were very heavily implying the fact that like this is so that we can hit the reset button and hopefully once we hit the reset button, we don't have to again. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's basically it's basically doing some market research at the end exactly. of the day. That's what this is. Without having to, it's it's actually a very cost effective form of market totally. research because they're they're not really doing anything than creating an incentive for us to back it. Which I think anyone who is planning on getting it upon release, this is not really. This is actually almost like a better opportunity because you know you're guaranteed to get something you want. The only downside I could see is people who want to support their LGS. You're not really getting to do so in this way. But I mean, if there's add-ons where you can just get an extra display, I think this is one of those times where do what you need to to be to get anything that you unlock or anything special through crowdfunding, but don't maybe go in excess through their site. So then you can get your displays after this one through your LGS, and that way you're showing support both to uh, Ghost Galaxy as well as the LGS that you like to be supporting in your own community. I think that's a nice balance. And I mean, it's, let's be honest, we're all degenerates. So we're going to buy like <laughs> anyways. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because that that totally ties in to, to exactly how, how Ghost Galaxy and Christian Peterson feels because they, they don't have a plan to have a retailer pledge on the game found crowdfunding campaign because they're, they're a publisher. They have an agreement with Asmodee as their exclusive retail distributor. So they also want to support the local game stores. They want to see OP thrive. They want to see OP happening, period. And to do that, they need to get the buy-in from the local game stores. So they they are working on and thinking about and have a lot of options available to them to to get OP off the ground. This is obviously the first step is gauging the demand so that they can create an OP that fits the demand. But they they are definitely going to support the local game store in the way that we want the the creators of this game to support the local game store. Totally. I mean, I, I love that. And it, it makes sense also going through Asmodee in this way because it means the ordering aspect for retailers will probably not really change from what they've currently been doing. I'm sure the products will show up in a very similar way through the same system they've been using, which will actually just facilitate, um, I guess, less barriers for a retailer to have the game that they already know. Exactly. And something else I, I wanted to point out about Ghost Galaxy itself, and they actually, they mentioned this in the press release, but like nobody but accountants like me actually reads press releases, but it's <laughs> something I got to talk to Christian Peterson about. And so I'll I'll read what they, they say. It's just one sentence. I'll read the press release and then give my, give my two cents about it. And um, given that we have already been working on a next generation software engine for creating procedurally generated card games, Keyforge is a perfect fit. That sentence was in their press release, but it really doesn't get any notice until you think about it. 
because they are already working on the the back end of it. Like their whole focus, Ghost Galaxy, the company, their focus was procedurally generated card games. And so the software to do that successfully is important to them. And so they, they've already hired all the guys who can write the code. They, they want this to not only be successful, but like be the backbone of their company. And so it's really cool that they, they put what was the problem for FFG in the forefront of what's important to them. Mm, interesting. I mean, I love to hear that because I can say that that is the only type of card game I want to play moving forward. And I, <laughs> and I love playing card games. I mean, Soulforge Fusion was the first, I guess, iteration of something that is done that way aside from Keyforge. And it's so far for me, and I know you feel the same way, Sydney, it's really interesting and unique. And it's and it's a cool way of, of getting to see you're not just forced to play something. There is a building and you have to like suss out things that can work together in a way that you don't have to do in, in with like Keyforge. Keyforge, you're trying to figure out how does this work? Or in Soulforge, you're trying to figure out what works together. And I, I just love the idea of procedurally generated card games and the fact that they're dedicating their company to that sort of concept. And that's what they want to be creating. Makes me really happy that one, this company exists, and two, that they're taking on Keyforge so that everything they're doing so far is just making me feel like this is a company that I'm excited to be supporting, buying their products. And if they're going down this path of creating games like this, I'm just only that much more excited for what their future holds for them. I couldn't have said it better. I'm excited to support them. That is absolutely where I stand. So is there anything else that you uh, came across there that you want to share with us before we get into our regular reoccurring segment? I guess just quickly, so behind the scenes, so Ghost Galaxy, exciting, amazing, fantastic. But behind the scenes, there was a there is a group who has hosted Keyforge at Gen Con for the past couple of years. And that, that group is Board Game Crunch. And if I'm not mistaken, they're run by Arthur Kelly. And I wanted to give a, a shout out to them because they've kept Keyforge alive at Gen Con for years now. And when, when I was talking with them, uh, I, I obviously played a couple of games while I was at Gen Con yesterday. And while I was talking with them, they were telling me how incredibly successful they've been. And they just equated to the fact that they have as many participants signed up for their games as a vault tour would, like a single vault tour would have. So it, they are doing smaller pods. They're not doing like one huge event, but they're still having as much interest. They're having people show up to to play the game of Keyforge. And I'm I'm just... So I think the community is in debt to them for like keeping live play alive. And it's it's something that like, I, I hope that it continues to be as exciting to play in person the way that they're hosting it. Because I feel like me going to Gen Con and, and not playing Keyforge, just I, I can't fathom a situation where I would go to Gen Con and not play Keyforge. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So... All in all, it was a great experience going to Gen Con, I'm guessing, for a Keyforge fan. 
Amazing. And, you know, I'm, I'm jealous of the people who are still there today. Like I, I did a one day in and out. And as we're recording, Gen Con's still going on. And and to be fair, people might be be learning more information. I mean, with with Christian Peterson, like manning the booth himself, there, there are conversations to be had. So I, I'm super excited for more people to to talk to him and for more information to come out about Keyforge and for for the, the momentum is started like it's it's going again, like it's it's back. Mm, amazing. I love it. I'm I'm super pumped about this. So it's uh, now time to move on to our reoccurring segment, which is when is this card good? And we actually had a suggestion from Proofpad. And Proofpad, uh, sorry, uh, not Proofpad. It was um, actually Sky Jedi, of course, the most active member in our uh, Discord, it seems, and will gladly call me out when I do anything wrong. Appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> um, and he suggested Trojan, Sauropod, and Proofpad actually was totally behind this idea. So for those of you not familiar with Trojan, Sauropod, I know that uh, Scuzzy Gruen has lamented this card a few times <laughs> and shouted from the rooftops his dislike for such a thing. It's an artifact that gives you a pip of ember in Saurian, and it says Trojan Sauropod enters play under your opponent's control. So once it's under your opponent's control, it now has an Omni ability that says gain three ember. Your opponent, meaning at this point you now, the original owner of the card, reveals their hand and puts each creature from it into play ready, then refills their hand as if it was their draw steps. Draw cards, step. Destroy a Trojan Sauropod. So a lot of people dislike this card right off the top because you're allowing your opponent to gain three ember. That is the big thing I think that creates the dislike because you're putting, you're giving your opponent an opportunity to burst, and three ember is nothing to scoff at. So as a result, the first uh, thing that happened is we're we're going to also do a little crowdfunding of the information <laughs> here and and share some of the responses people had when this was posted. First one, my buddy Joe uh, Zotted. You may know him from the wonderful Ancient Bear Republic leagues that go on, formerly known as the ABR League. And he responded, first of all, with, I guess maybe when it's in your opponent's deck. That is when this card is good. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. So that was, that was really nice. But um, <clears throat> before we get into some of the stuff here. Sydney, what is your first take on this card when you see it? So just blindly looking at it without any context, I'm not scared of it. Like I don't, I, I don't hate that it would be in my deck. Yes, it gives my opponent three amber, but there are, there are some ways that it could be good. So I'm not, I'm not, it's not like a default bad card to me. I think for three situations where I'm I'm pretty okay if it's in my deck and one of them is sealed because okay. in a sealed situation your opponent does not know that what you have that may or may not work well with this deck so they might be hesitant to use it on their side and so you automatically get the pip of amber when you play it so there is a an immediate benefit to you so it it might be okay in sealed where your opponent is too afraid to play it. But then that aside, if you have a high steel deck or a high creature count deck, you really do have the edge because if they're playing gain three amber and 
using this card, then you either play a lot of creatures, or if you don't have a lot of creatures in your hand, hopefully you have a lot of actions, and some of those actions might have steel and make use of that amber that they didn't have before. So I feel like there there could be situations where it is it is more beneficial to play it than discard it. Okay. Um, for me, I think it's it's a it's a combo card, which I'm kind of realizing Ooh. that these cards that are we're, we're questioning how good they are. The reason why it does not seem good on the surface is because when you're in house playing them, you don't see how it works. But when you start looking at the potential things that could combo as you move on to subsequent turns and can call other houses, it provides a different perspective. So, first off, I think an interesting thing like i would say magic christmas land scenario is that you have <laughs> a saurian you have unfathomable and you have shadows i think those are the three things you want for yes. the ultimate combo here so some people this has already been mentioned in here um uh days yog mentioned that using borrow is good so if the shadows element comes into play so you can play it for them and then borrow it and have it back so now you actually get to have the use of it and you gain the ember so it's actually a four ember card for you at that point and then you have your opponent's um creatures get put onto the battlefield and this is also beneficial because in dark tidings you can have low creature count decks it's like the average i think is lower in dark tidings to other sets so there's that aspect and if you looked at your opponent's archon card then you'll also maybe know how many creatures they have so is it more detrimental or to use or should you just hold it you know what i mean like things like that can be assessed a little bit better now here comes where this becomes magic crystals land because the real combo then comes into play is you then need unfathomable so you can have brain drain which is you get to look at your opponent's hand and then you actually know how many creatures they have. So therefore you can actually see if it's a good time to use it. And because it's Omni, you can use it that turn and then really do it. And if they do have creatures, you literally get to choose the cards. You can put a creature on top so they don't get to have that into play. <laughs> so I think that's where it really starts to combo. But like that is a multi-tiered combo right there. Right. Like you're having that's a three-turn thing. But the point is with Boro it's not going to, you don't have to use it right away. So therefore it has that that element. And then obviously Hornswoggle is is uh, like a remote access essentially. So you get to use your opponent's artifact as if it was yours, but you don't get the brain drain aspects. You, you know you have less information, but you get to use it, gain the three ember, and then they put cards into play. So there's, there's the, I think the shadow combination with it is the strongest because of Boro and Hornswoggle. So you're in control of the use of that card. Um, Alternatively, the other way this works really well is if you just have artifact destruction. Oh yeah. So those are those are the two that I really saw. But I, I was the brain drain combo. I thought was was actually one of the strongest way you can use it against your opponent. Alternatively, if your opponent has brain drain and you see that in their deck list, that is when this card is not good because then they can have access to see when to best play it against you and gain that ember and not be hosed by you putting a bunch of creatures on the board. Oh, that's a great point. Um, did you have any other things on this, or should I go into our, our crowdsourcing of information? Oh, crowdsource away. Okay, so Proofpad went into uh, quite an, a lengthy discussion about why this would be amazing. So he said, 
while there is definitely an element of your deck construction to this, I want to bring the card up to look at it. A, we get an ember. B, we then put the opponent on a wary stance. Do they grab three ember and risk you having more ready creatures to deal with the ember? C, it's now out of your deck for the time being. The more creatures in your hand, especially after grabbing from a thick archive, the less likely the, the Trojan sauropod is triggered. I agree this is not a great card, but could see the balance of decision-making come into play if you're able to get a large hand on a consistent basis, maybe with a daughter on the board also. I thought that was an interesting point. Like you having an, an archive that you could suddenly pull oh. out and have this, yeah, you could create almost like this chicken where they can't use it because you have a fat hand. And I, I kind of like, like that aspect as well, like the psychological role it can play in a game. I guess causing your opponent stress is a benefit of this card. Yep. And again, with the pairing it with a unfathomable house is really interesting because uh, Ketzer noted here that uh, the Sorbrod can put things like Fafalde and Tawiki Kraken into play without the drawbacks. And he also noted it's an interesting, it's also interesting against the Kiraken because Kiraken will always use this as soon as it can. So you could actually set it up in your Keyforge Adventures because they will use it right away. Oh, so that's you could be crazy playing it cool. knowing you have a bunch of stuff in your hand. So that may be a really fun thing. Maybe this card was specifically created for that. So um, the for those of you who are not sure what the Taniwa, sorry, uh, Tawiki Karakin says, it says you must exhaust two friendly unthasmal creatures, if not destroy it. So that does not come into uh, to play according to Ketzer. And what's Fafalde? I can't remember that one. Do you remember that one? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I can have it in. Oh, the... it's, it's uh, Fafalde. That's the untamed card. That's why I'm thinking. That's why I couldn't remember it right away. Oh, okay. And that's the, the last evolution of the Pokemon, uh, the Pokemon untamed card where you have to always have the previous evolution. And it says oh. play destroyed a friendly yeah. Bombix if you not destroy Fafaldi because it's you're not playing you're putting it into play and that mm. is uh, I believe that is the desig the the wording designation where you do not get play effects if I'm not mistaken because you're putting it into play you're right. not playing it exactly so um, I guess that's also an interesting thing to uh, to note for this so when is this card good on the surface not always there is definitely a need to look at your opponent's hand. Uh, or sorry, your opponent's deck list and see the risk reward that exists. Um, I mean, it may be discarding it is the best way, but it also provides some interesting decisions to be made and setting up some interesting combos down the road, which is is really neat about it. And uh, I kind of like the idea of, of you could suddenly just have a ton of creatures. Right. One thing in Sorian I thought was was cool is the those those cool raptors. That exists that you get a whole bunch the hastastus raptor because if you got a whole bunch of them in hand and suddenly your opponent does it and then you get to put all these into play and they're ready for your next turn uh that could be pretty neat as well so um because they have no playability so you're not losing anything so i think that is uh, quite interesting and i guess that's um now that i think about it when you're borrowing and stuff like that, if you know your opponent has a bunch of creatures with play abilities, mm -hmm. you may want to grab it and use it so that they don't get those play abilities and they're suddenly just on the board. So that's, I sure. guess, another time when the card would be good, but also could be used against you in the same way. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. 
Do you have anything else about this card you'd like to share, Sydney? I, I like everything that you said. It just gave me ideas to expand on what you said. Like if you have like a rat deck or something, being able mm. to get all of those out all at once or just in general, like if you have a, a specific theme of creatures in your deck that you need to get out for some reason or if you have a lot of um, perpetual effects that will be will go into effect like increasing key costs or whatever like having that go into effect immediately and for your opponent's turn that's that's a pretty great combo mm-hmm. yeah totally i couldn't agree more so with that being said it is uh, time to move on to our titular segment and of course we cannot do an episode without this and this is of course called help from help future from self in sydney i understand that you have a help from future self hot off of your Gen Con experience. Absolutely. So I played Sealed and it was super fun and it was a dark tiding Sealed. So one of the things that that kept catching me up, so it's in economics, it's called the sunk cost fallacy. But one of the things that I had <laughs> such trouble doing is once I had missed a trigger for the tide, like during my turn, I'm in the middle of my turn, I could have better used a card if the tide had been high. I still had cards to play and actions to take and things to do on my turn, but I had such a hard time getting over the fact that I didn't raise the tide for that first action that I really didn't try to raise the tide, even if I had future cards that would benefit from it. So it's it's okay to still raise the tide once you've missed a trigger. I mean, especially in casual when you can like ask to take a move back, but in competitive, you, you still might need to do like a quick cost benefit analysis in your head because you're getting three chains, but don't consider the missed trigger while you're doing that because it's no longer a factor. So there are a couple of times where I stubbornly didn't raise the tide for the rest of the turn because I didn't do it in the beginning. While at that point in time, it still would have benefited me for the rest of my turn if I had raised the tide. Mm. I like it. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good call because it's like when, and I I think when you say this, it's the truth is like misplaying in general is really what's what this is about because you did not yep. do the optimal thing. So oh, we can call it misplaying, but I I think a more nice way of putting it is you did not make the optimal decisions on your turn. Right. And I think when people do that, they really like some people really beat themselves up over it and they almost get a mentality like they want to concede because they're yeah. like, I miss doing the absolute most. So there's no point in continuing, which let that mentality go because Keyforge is a game that swings so easily that you could be right back where you want to be in no time at all. And actually putting that psychological pressure on yourself mm-hmm. in that moment is only hindering yourself from from really doing what you want to do. Definitely. Especially too, because for me, decisions take longer when I'm in that kind of headspace and I don't, I don't need to be taking additional time on my turn when it should be an easy decision to just make the change right then and then have a, a good turn going forward rather than continuing to like beat myself up about it during the turn. Totally. I, I love that. I think that's, that's a great thing for people to think about as they uh, continue on playing. Um, so 
That's going to do it for this episode, unless there's anything else you'd like to share, Sydney. I just wanted a, a quick uh, shout out to uh, Don, who modded our Keyforge game, because he listens to us while he mows the lawn, and uh, wanted to thank <laughs> him again for um, modding such a, a great uh, Keyforge over, over the course of the whole weekend. You're probably still modding as I record this right now, but um, thank you again, and to everyone at Board Game Crunch who runs uh, Keyforge at Gen Con, y'all are great. Amazing. Thank you all, everyone. Appreciate your support for the game in all forms, whether it is listening to a podcast, playing a game online or with your friends around the kitchen table or being at Gen Con doing the most. Like, thank you all. We are about to enter an era in Keyforge we have not seen before. So get excited, get pumped, tell your friends and tell your friends to tell their friends so we can (laughs) really get this going. And as we mentioned, check the show notes, get on the crowdfunding, get that free deck and stay tuned for all the news. There is only excitement ahead. So everyone get your Keyforge hats on and uh, forge those keys. All right. So if you wish to reach out to Sydney and maybe ask her to regale you with some more tales about other things in Gen Con aside from Keyforge, or maybe they are more Keyforge related stuff and you think she didn't share all the good. Uh, <laughs> what's the best way to to hound you, Sydney? I am SC Steel on Discord and TCO. Perfect. And if you uh, wish to get at me, you can find me on Discord. It's Boulevard Blake number sign 3840. That's BLVD Blake number sign 3840. And for those of you who do not know, on Friday, aka the day we recorded this, I released content on my YouTube. That's right. I started to go back. I got a new webcam, got a new setup. And I'm excited to also be creating some more content there now that I'm settled into my new place. So go check that out. And um, yeah, as always, folks, stay fortunate.